Welcome to this third episode of the Ocean Decade Show, uh, a podcast dedicated to guiding you down the yellow brick road of this global initiative to transform the ocean, housed within the American Shoreline Podcast Network. Uh, my name is Taylor Gells, uh, if you recall, and I'm your host and tour guide on our adventure through the Ocean Decade. So we're two episodes in. It's it's crazy that this idea that we had about uh, talking about the decade through a podcast last year, we're, we're getting going and it's, and it's still moving, which is fun. Um, and we're really starting to build out this Ocean Decade ecosystem and exploring all of the different parts. Uh, Last time on the podcast, if you listened to the last episode, we had the chance to speak to Alison Clausen at the Intergovernmental Oceanographic Commission, the IOC, uh, about the foundations of the decade and the role of the UN. Uh, it was a great show, so if you missed it, definitely check it out, if only for Allison's awesome accent. Um, that's like 30% of the reason, at least, to, <laughs> to listen in. Um, and so if you're uh, kind of picturing this ecosystem that I'm trying to build, uh, the IOC is, if not the center, near the center, that they are right now where a lot of the information is coming from and going in between. They're acting as a real kind of uh, filter and facilitator to help build out this world. Uh, but hopefully over the course of this year and throughout the decade that um, those key central pieces and the key central players will continue to grow. Uh, and so that we'll have multiple pieces of information, multiple centers, uh, multiple ways to learn and hear about the decade and contribute so that it's not just all through the IOC. Um, they're a big organization. They do a lot of great things. Uh, but if you're working on, you know, local coastal resilience or, uh, kind of on a more regional scale, maybe interacting with a giant global body isn't the most feasible thing for you for getting involved in the decade. So really going to try to start to build out this universe and explain more places where you can interact. So you don't just have to email the uh, the IOC and say, hello, I'm interested in the decade. I would like to help. <laughs> I'm trying to introduce you to some of the other key players who want to be involved and shape this decade. Um, so before I get to my guests for this episode, uh, I wanted to try out a new little segment, I guess you could almost call it, um, entitled Ocean Decade Updates. So uh, beyond exactly what's happening in this specific episode, what's happening in the world of the Ocean Decade as it's developing? What's happened since our last episode? What you need to pay attention to? So one of the biggest things that's happened since... Uh, the last episode was that the U.S. National Committee on the Ocean Decade, this group that's housed at the National Academies of Sciences uh, here in the United States, had their launch meeting. Uh, so if you recall, the IOC has said that each of the member states, so each of the countries around the world, uh, are encouraged to create these coordinating committees to get uh, countries in line, basically, to help facilitate Ocean Decade work uh in each country and bring connections and cross different boundaries. Um, so this is the group for the U.S. And they held uh, a two-day meeting in the afternoons uh, at the beginning of February. And it was amazing. Um, I think we've all gotten really 
numb to some sort of like the the lame virtual meetings that happen. And so the National Committee pulled out all the, the stops in terms of interesting speakers and cool ways of presenting information that they had the coolest um, poster session that I've ever seen virtually. Um, this podcast was a poster there. So I got to t- uh, talk to some people. So you'd basically, like in the real world, if you s- are at a conference and you see someone's poster and you think, oh, that's cool, you go up and talk to them. It was the same kind of virtual e setup that you'd click on someone's poster and then immediately see their face, <laughs> which was a little uh, daunting the first time that happened. But you get to see them and interact with them and talk to them about these ocean shot ideas that the US National Committee uh, is using to help facilitate decade thinking within the US, these moonshot level, you know, JFK ideas um, that will transform some piece of ocean science, ocean tech uh, communication. Um, I quickly that day wrote down the entire, almost every one of the posters that were uh, being featured so that I can have them on the show later because there's people doing just such interesting things and people really rose to the occasion, it seemed, in terms of thinking transformatively, but there's always, uh, you know, going to be more that people can do. And there's going to be a next call open for these ocean shots. Um, and they're due sometime in April. Uh, you can check out nas.edu slash ocean decade for more information. And I really hope to get, uh, some of the national committee members and my schedules aligned so they can come on the podcast and talk about all of this themselves. Um, they're super dedicated, super interested in, uh, youth and early career ocean professionals and transformative science and and tech. Um, so there's some information on that website about the meeting if you missed it. Uh, so go ahead and take a look. Um, at the UN level, uh, the program submissions that Allison and I had spoken about in the last episode were due at the end of January. And so the IOC is looking over those right now with the plan to announce in hopefully May-ish, June-ish by the time of the the virtual Ocean Decade launch that uh, Germany is helping plan. But there's currently a call for activities out that is rolling. uh, So there's no hard deadline on that. So if uh, you're interested in submitting to the decade overall, but that program level, that really high, you know, um, multi-ocean scale, multi-country basin was a little too high of a uh, hurdle for you to reach, then this call for activities might be better suited. It's, uh, you know, for a couple years or a little bit longer term event, it can be a little bit smaller in scale, country basin, larger regional basin. Um, there's some really cool ideas that I've already heard people talk about in terms of their submission for activities. So this is a much lower bar in terms of engaging for the de- with the decade for your first time. So go ahead and go to oceandecade.org to learn more about those submissions. And speaking of oceandecade.org, um, it's going to get a huge revamp this year, which is great. It's the most beautiful website, but I sometimes, even though I know it <laughs> very well, have trouble finding information on that site. So it'll hopefully become a little bit more user-friendly this year uh, so that individuals can find these calls more easily. And the last thing I wanted to mention, there's a ton going on, but some of these big things that are happening as we're getting here into the third month of the decade. Um, Eco Magazine, so it's a virtual uh, online environmental magazine, uh, is finalizing right now its Ocean Decade-themed issue. So they put out a call for different article submissions, for videos, for podcasts. Wink, wink, you might see something familiar in there. Um 
but they're going to have this Ocean Decade themed issue that will hopefully come out around the same time as the Ocean Decade launch, late May, early June. So it's a great way to understand more communications pieces about what's happening in the decade and who's contributing, who's involved. Um, I'm really excited to hear about some of the other pieces, you know, because even in this big universe, I'm trying to learn as much as I can and tell you all as much as I can, but I'm definitely still in my own lane of (laughs) what I know is happening and who I know is doing stuff. So I'm excited to learn more about other people doing work for the Ocean Decade and uh, be able to tell you all about that as well. I feel like one of the episodes could be just like be me reading through that magazine and telling you all the cool things that have happened uh, or that people are planning to have happen. So that's the end of Ocean Decade updates. This segment, this new segment I've been trying out for this episode. We'll have more for you next time on the podcast. Uh, Let me know if you want to have a certain thing featured or covered or want me to go into more depth about something. Happy to, to do that. But now I want to transition and really set the stage for our guests, uh, tell you a little bit more about the group um, and what they're here to talk about, ECOPS, um, Early Career Ocean Professionals. That's your acronym for the day, for the for the episode. I mentioned that the decade has a lot of acronyms, and in the past two episodes, I hope you have caught on to that. The whole marine science world, and probably all of our worlds, have too many acronyms. And this episode's no different. I really feel like the titles of these podcast episodes going forward could just be the acronyms <laughs> that I'm going to discuss each one. So something weird and meta for, for me to think about. But back to ECOPS. Uh, so first, I'll give you a definition. An early career ocean professional is a person that identifies as being early in their career, so about 10 years of professional experience or below within any field related to the ocean. And that's crucial Uh, because it's not only employed or paid positions. So if you're passionate about the ocean, but you're an accountant, (laughs) you can still count as an early career ocean professional. Uh, And that's been a really crucial part of this definition when it was being crafted by the ECOP organizers, who we'll talk to here in a little bit, and the ECOP global community, uh, who were giving feedback on this. uh, They were really intentional about saying ocean-related professional uh, in order to be inclusive of individuals who, you know, like the accountants who are passionate about the ocean, but also professionals from many different sectors of ocean society. So it's not just the scientists and the policymakers, but it's the fishers, it's the artists, it's the educators. Um, Early career ocean professionals are everywhere, and we're trying to cast that net really wide because there's a lot of different paths to a career or a passion for ocean science, marine science. Um, So the term early career can mean different things to different people. And that's why in the definition it includes self-identified as well. That's crucial. It can mean a different thing to one person than another. And so it's really just about getting the next generation of ocean leaders uh, and getting those individuals involved right now (laughs) in order to make sure that um, they can carry on this decade going forward. The goal then of this group, I'll give you the overall definition, uh, is to cast a wide net and ensure that intergenerational diversity is included in the decade. And I'm going to ask my guests about that a little bit later and why that's important, but a little teaser here, um, making the connection between the mid and later career individuals and the individuals in early career roles who will carry on their legacy and create our own legacy. Um, My old boss, Craig McLean, who is the head of No Research, like to say a lot last year, I heard him say this a lot, that um, people like him won't still be in their roles 
at the end of this decade by 2030. Um, it's people like the ECOPS who are showing leadership today, uh, who will inherit the conclusion of this decade, uh, and who will inherit the ocean we create over the next 10 years, that the individuals really involved in this ECOP business now could be the next Craig, could be the next Allison Clausen, who we spoke to, could be the next Vladimir Rabinin, the whole uh, executive secretary of the IOC. So it's really exciting to get to talk to these individuals. You know, it's like the stars before they were stars. <laughs> it's the ocean leaders before they were ocean leaders, um, although they already are leaders now. One thing I wanted to point out, because in a future episode, I'm hoping to have uh, some youth who are really passionate about the decade included. So I wanted to set the stage a little bit about the difference between ECOPS and youth. Um, it's not a firm line. Like I said, that the definition for ECOPS earlier was very fluid, that 10-ish years, different professionals. Um, but if you're earlier in your career and you're looking to self-identify with either ECOP or youth and you're not sure which one you fit into, a quick rule that I've been using is that youth includes all the way up through your undergraduate degree or the ages you are around when you'd be in your undergrad degree. Whereas ECOPS starts somewhere around grad school or the grad school, the age you'd be if you went to grad school. So I know that's <laughs> confusing. It can mean lots of different things. And there's problems with this as well because it isn't as inclusive as some of the other professions that are included. But it's the best option that I have for you at the moment. So hopefully that helps you kind of self-identify and put yourself in different uh, boxes to get involved. Because like I said, um, I really want to use these episodes going forward to help people figure out where they fit within the decade and what groups they can engage with who are already doing cool stuff so that they can move forward and be really useful for the decade. So I personally am an ECOP and very proud of it, less than 10 years into my career. And as part of my Ocean Decade work last year with NOAA, I was a liaison with these ECOP efforts. And through talking with my guest today, I got hooked. <laughs> and I think you will too. Um, they got me hook, line, and sinker. And I became not only one of the co-leads of the youth engagement arm of this ECOP effort, but I'm leading the communication pieces as well. So podcast is separate to the communication stuff that I'm doing with them, but it all gets muddy and intertwined. And it's cool to me that... Um, American Shoreline Podcast Network had the faith in an ECOP, someone like me, to bring a voice to the decade. And so that's really cool that we'll get to, you know, you and I together through this podcast, we'll get to set course for what's talked about during the decade from this ECOP perspective, which is really cool. So what the way I like to think about it is, you know, that meme where someone wears all the hats for all the different roles they play, writer, director, producer, boom handler, head of sandwich collection. That's me with the ECOPS. <laughs> and that's me with the decade, kind of. Um, I'm kind of decade girl, even though I'm in a new role now. But I couldn't be happier to be dedicating my time to this group. Um, and I'll leave it to my guests to tell you a little bit more about themselves and their paths to ECOP. But I wanted to tout some of their accomplishments before we say hello. And also because they're wonderful and they don't always talk about how wonderful they are. We're always so bad at that. We can't toot our own horns as well. So I will do it for them. <laughs> so one really crucial and important thing is the term ECOP didn't exist before the beginning of 2019. At one of the Ocean Decade's global planning meetings, those global gatherings that I had mentioned before uh, that brought individuals from around the world together to plan the decade, um, my guests, Aaron uh, Alfredo and Guillermo, as well as Harriet, who couldn't join us today, but I'm going to make sure to bring her on 
in a different episode because she has a great accent as well. Like you'll hear from <laughs> Guillermo and uh, Alfredo today. And we heard from Allison last time. That's the best part about the decade is all the accents. It's wonderful. Um, so at this global pa- planning meeting, they brought up the importance of intergenerational diversity for not only that meeting, but the decade overall. Um, And the IOC, the Intergovernmental Oceanographic Commission, that was your acronym from last time, uh, took them up on their challenge and gave them money and resources and said, basically, help us ensure that your generation is included, which is a pretty amazing thing from a multinational UN organization to say, kind of like reach their hand out and say, help us do this really well, because they know that this decade's about transformation and ECOPs are all about transformation. So since then, ECOPS launched a global survey to help understand others in their generations. Uh, who else are, who else is out there? Who are the other ocean professionals of today? What are their needs? What do they want? Uh, what does the makeup of this community look like? And what's incredible is that over 1,400 individuals from around the world answered this survey and the results of which are being turned into a publication. So I'll be sure to give you that information when it comes out uh, that you can see kind of the makeup of who are ECOPs. What are they doing? What are they interested in? Why do they care? And this is turned into this more organized effort. This survey was just kind of a way to get the pulse on what is happening in the ECOP world. And from then, it's only become more organized and this group of, of leaders who we'll, we'll hear from in a bit have said, okay, this is what the needs are. Let's help fill them. Let's help the decade address intergenerational diversity and not just that, but take ECOPs where they are, that they're not just the young people in the room, that they're professionals in their own terms. And so take advantage of that expertise. Like I had mentioned last time with Allison, the, that decade implementation plan ECOPs were important reviewers of that document, this guiding document of the decade. They're mentioned several times and definitely are having a seat at the table moving forward. But now that I I gave you this bit of a setup, ECOPs exist, are getting more organized. We're now in the decade. This episode aims to provide a peek behind the curtain and learn more about their motivations, their plans for the decade, and answer the question, I think the main question of why intergenerational diversity during the ocean decade is important. So thanks, Aaron, Alfredo, and Guillermo for for being here with me today. Please uh, go around the virtual room and introduce yourself. What's been your path to ECOP? And I see Aaron first in my little channel. So Aaron, then Guillermo, then Alfredo. <laughs> Great. Thanks, Taylor, so much for inviting me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm Erin Satterthwaite, and I'm an extension specialist and the program coordinator for one of the longest marine ecosystem time series, which is known as CalCoffee, at California Sea Grant and Scripps Institution of Oceanography. And I'm a marine ecologist, so I focus on connections, so between humans as well as marine animals and the environment. And I really like to work to understand how these connections change over long periods of time and how that affects our connected human and natural systems. And this is really important because understanding how complex systems change over time really is vital to help us create better decisions around our most pressing environmental problems. And so I've always been passionate about connecting with diverse people across different places. And so In thinking about ECOPs, my journey began about two years ago at the first global planning meeting. And for me, this really was the first time that I had participated in an international event like this. Mm -hmm. 
And I was really inspired by the international cooperation happening there. And while at the event, there's a small group of us, many of us on this call, (laughs) that realized that early career engagement should be a focal part of the decade to insurance continuity. And that's really the beginning of my journey. Oh, that's so cool. Guillermo, I feel we're all going to have similar origin stories, but we need to get all Spider-Man and Batman, you know, and and go through it all. So... (laughs) Yeah, um, so I'll be I'll be short. Uh, well, thanks a lot for the invitation, Taylor, and everyone. Hello to everyone listening. Um, my name is Guillermo Ortuño Crespo. I'm a postdoc at the Stockholm Resilience Center. So I'm calling in from from sunny Sweden today. Um, and um, my research focuses primarily on fisheries, uh, which operate beyond national jurisdictions. So beyond that 200 nautical mile boundary uh, that all coastal and nations have. Um, and my journey, like Aaron's, in the ocean decade began about 19 months ago in Copenhagen. And it, it didn't take us long to realize that um, the average agent in that in that hole uh, during the conference was uh, was way above 40 or, or 50. And that yeah, we, mean, we median have, mode, yeah. <laughs> Whatever <laughs> the, you need to pick, yeah. All the summary statistics showed that <laughs> that it was uh, not early career, and and we had a very um, good dialogue with IOC UNESCO right then, and and since then we've been working closely with them to make sure that the next generation of ocean professionals is an integral part of this uh, decade long process. Fantastic, Alfredo. What do you have to add to this picture we're building? Oh, I feel this is difficult to add anything. Well, uh, I mean. We, we all were in that meeting, along with Harriet Harden-Davis and, and the four of us, with a couple more of the volunteers that were there also, uh, realized about this and put together a, a little speech saying, like, why is it important that, that we have a spot, not only in this conference, but in everything that happens in the decade and throughout it. And so the IOC was just extremely supportive and has been stepping up to the challenge so well. They, they have been amazing and, and they have shown support in every single thing that we have asked for, basically. And so my, my journey started there as well, but um, it has also diversified a little bit. I, I have been in very close contact with the Marine Technology Society, for example. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, I was officially announced to become the new vice president for early career ocean professionals. Fantastic. Which is extremely exciting. Yeah, I mean, it, it just shows the commitment of a big society like MPS to really push this concept forward. And I think it wouldn't have been possible without that first meeting in Copenhagen. So uh, pretty exciting stuff. That's so cool. Um, It's amazing to look back to that first meeting and just think about how far ECOPS have have come uh, since then. Um, Getting a little bit more meta. So what's the big deal about intergenerational diversity? You know, why does the decade need it? So um, we very often hear about these um, goals and frameworks that were developed 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and that we are still working with. And imagine, imagine the, the crowd that were in those meetings making, making the commitments and establishing the objectives, facing a similar situation to what the decade was facing at the beginning. Most of them meet late career, but really, the people who are now in those leadership positions were probably early career at that moment. So that that is the main thing. How can we make sure that the people who are going to be driving all of these solutions forward feel empowered and, and feel ownership of them from the beginning? So just to add to that, I'm going to jump in. 
throughout the last sort of 10 or so years since I began my, my journey as a marine scientist, um, I've been quite fortunate to, to form part of different uh, national or international processes to, to witness the uh, sort of intergovernmental negotiations uh, from pretty close and, and understand how science um, can play a role in shaping decision-making. And, and reflecting back on that journey, I realized that uh, despite all the hard work, there was uh, a, a component that was um, pretty much driving <laughs> the whole show, which was luck. And in moving forward with all of our um, commitments, um, the SDG agenda and whatnot, uh, we cannot afford um, the sort of the engagement of the next generation of professionals into these processes, into the translation of science into action to fall on luck. So I think there's an urgent need to make sure that um, uh, any early career professional is able to both read and write a, a scientific manuscript as well as a policy brief to inform decision makers. We really have to uh, display, uh, sort of lay out the, the means to, to train this next generation across multiple disciplines, um, which is what we've learned in the last few decades that is, that is necessary. And I think this is a great opportunity to bring the next generation up to speed um, in, in various processes in order to achieve the goals that we've set ourselves for 2030. Yeah, it's reaching those SDGs, those sustainable development goals. It's, uh, you know, we, we, our work has a lot to do with, you know, SDG 14, the life underwater, but there's a lot of other ones too. And the transdisciplinary and interdisciplinary nature of early career ocean professionals fits perfectly into those spaces. And so now it's kind of, uh, I've always thought of it as, you know, bringing ourselves to the table and uh, making sure that others then have room behind us. Because this has been in a completely volunteer network, which is incredible, that it's built from kind of the four of, of you uh, that started everything. And it's grown so much in the past uh, 19 months or whatever was the exact, yeah, days, number of hours, minutes that, that Guillermo could count down to. Um, so how is that volunteer network grown. It's been a lot of, you know, just organic growth, I feel like, at this point. And then the ECOPs are getting getting more organized and trying to figure out how do we accomplish these goals we've set ourselves. Yeah, I'll jump in there. I mean, at least in my mind, kind of following up on thinking about the purpose, I really think that a lot of this is kind of the new voices being the source of innovation, especially as we kind of move into this next decade where we need transformative change. Mm -hmm. um, and so looking, I guess, kind of the evolution and development really has had that kind of adaptive, evolving flair to it. And I think in a lot of ways, it's like a movement, really this movement <laughs> True, to yeah. bring diverse yeah, viewpoints into these international processes like we've been talking about and really ensure that these diverse early career professionals are actually integrated more formally into national and international institutions. And so I guess I would say right now, I think that organization is really evolving. Um, and we've been organized initially around the preparatory phase of the ocean decade and are now transitioning to kind of envisioning what this next phase actually looks like. Yeah, and I've always thought that, you know, some of the other people who have been working on the decade and they maybe submitted these programs or these big ideas, they've known each other and worked together. Whereas ECOPS have been this global community of strangers before this time trying to work together across 
time zones and discipline differences and language differences. And so the fact that ECOPs have made this much progress and the fact that, you know, you have people high up at the UN using the term ECOP is just a crazy accomplishment, I think, within this amount of time, the planning process, you know, now we're in the decade. And so now we as a global ECOP community, and so we're, we've been defining that as what, less than 10 years into your career um, in any sort of ocean related uh, profession, we got to figure out what to do with the decade, you know? So something that I want to, that I've been asking guests is um, what do you find most exciting about the ocean decade from, you know, the ECOP perspective and where do you see it going over the next year? I mean, I think uh, I think this generation is uh, uh, when it comes to intergovernmental processes. Uh, there's there's a bit of a disconnect between what we hope and expect to see um, leaders from from countries and industry do, and 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 what we um, and what they actually do, and and the the degree to which policies evolve to res- to respond to the climate crisis or the biodiversity loss crisis. So. What I'm most hopeful about and excited about is the possibility of changing this dynamic over the next cha- 10 years um, and making sure that that every time we, we interact with any of these processes, any, any time that we're talking about the loss of biodiversity, climate change, uh, food security, job security around the world, we have the certainty that the next generation is part of the process, that the, the decision makers are passing on the baton as they're adopting decisions so that there's continuity in these processes. Yeah, so it's not starting from scratch every time. Exactly. Erin Alfredo? Yeah, so I guess going off of that, to me, that long view, so we can really invest in lasting relationships and connections that lead to what I think of as true resilience and sustainability is key. Um, and I guess another piece that for me is super exciting is the f- it's basic, but the focus on the ocean kind of being this like vital life support system and really the thing that I think connects us globally. And then the third piece is this unique opportunity for these novel and diverse collaborations. Um, and for me that, I mean, even some of the people that I've met in the past couple of years, I wouldn't have been connected with otherwise. And for me, that's like the most exciting part is really building that network out. And I see that as being kind of the key thing that continues to happen within the next year. Yeah, we're building a global network of people who care deeply about the ocean and want to make a change, which is fantastic. Yeah. Well, I think this is a this is the very first time, to my knowledge, that this issue about intergenerational diversity from a professional perspective is taken so seriously. The IOC has really championed this process. The IOC has really championed the whole movement because as Erin was saying before, there's a movement on this. People people are talking about it, not only at the UN now, but also in, in different universities, in different, even the US committee, for example, which Taylor is, is very involved with, but even the US committee has this whole structure around ECOP. So what I am really excited about is that Something that started very small in Copenhagen 19 months ago, now is just growing and rippling everywhere. And this is just the start of the decade. So I really want to see where it goes 10 years from now. Yeah, that's the most amazing part is the progress that's happened. You know, we're only three months technically into the decade. Um, I want to thank you all for 
for joining me. This We are going to have many, many more updates with ECOPS going forward because you're all just really fun to talk to and I like talking to my friends, but also because the ECOPS are going to continue to do amazing things. And so the ECOPS are on both Twitter and LinkedIn right now. Uh, so Ocean Decade ECOP, the handle, you can uh, take a look at that to keep up to date. And I will make sure to keep you all up to date on everything ECOP going forward in the Ocean Decade and everything intergenerational diversity going forward in the Ocean Decade. So Aaron, Alfredo, Guillermo, thank you for uh, for joining me today and uh, working on this stuff together. It's been uh, one of the joys of my Ocean Decade work has been, like Aaron said, getting to meet you all and building this network of people who care. <laughs>